Welcome back to another episode of the Yak Podcast. We're continuing our series on apologetics this week as we begin to build the case for Christianity and we dive into the cosmological argument for the existence of God. Um, hope you enjoy. Um, it's a little heavy, so feel free to listen to it a couple of times if you need to. Hey, see this W? Throw up the W if I say a word that blows your mind, okay? We're going out into space tonight um, as we go into the cosmological argument for the existence of God. Let me break down the argument. Premise one is everything that had a beginning had a cause. You will know this by heart by the end of this class because every week I'm going to have you all recite it out loud, okay? So you'll know this one. Everything that had a beginning had a cause. Everyone say that with me. Everything that had a beginning had a cause. Premise two is the universe had a beginning. Everyone say the universe had a beginning. The universe had a beginning. Therefore, that's that therefore symbol in philosophy. It's nice. It's squiggly. It says the universe had a cause. Everyone say the universe had a cause. Everyone say it. The universe had a cause. So that's A equals B. C equals A. Therefore, C equals B. It's the basic argument when we talked about logic and rationality last week. This is it literally played out in an argument. And we're going to see how this works for the case for Christ tonight. So premise one, what, what is the fundamental principle of science? And the fundamental principle of science is the law of causality. It has to do with causes. Cause and effect. Without cause and effect, you don't have science. Francis Bacon, the father of modern science, says, and a name that makes me hungry every time I say it, says this, true knowledge is knowledge by causes. Okay? As we test something, there's always a cause and effect. David Hume says this, I never asserted so absurd a proposition that something could arise without a cause. And he is an atheist skeptic. He never asserted that. Because it would be an absurd proposition to state it. Further, to deny the law of causality is to deny rationality. The very process of rational thinking requires us to put together thoughts, the causes, that result in conclusions, the effects. So premise one is undeniable. For anyone to make an argument that premise one is false, the act of making an argument self-defeats the law of causality. Because they're going to make an argument about cause and effect as they make an argument. This, therefore this. Cause, therefore effect. Therefore you're defeating your own principle as you deny the law of causality. Okay? In debate, this is rarely attacked. And for about 20 years, it was the last thing that was attacked. In this premise, in um, arguments on college campuses and between scholars, this is the one where the majority of the time was spent. Only in the last five, six years has this one been attacked because they realized that this one's becoming even more and more undeniable. So if I'm going to escape it, well, I know this ain't working, so I'm going to try this one. But in the process of trying, they're defeating science itself. Because what's the purpose of science? There's no cause and effect. Okay. Premise two. So the question must be asked, if premise one is undeniable, uh, does the universe have a beginning? If the universe did have a beginning, a cause is needed. 
If it did not have a beginning, the cause is not needed. We call this beginning the Big Bang. The difference between a theist and an atheist is that we think we know who banged it. Eh? We think we know the banger. And this is an acronym used as lines of evidence for premise two. You're going to know this in your head by the end of uh, this series two. And that is surge. S-U-R-G-E. It was a phenomenal energy drink or one of the early energy drinks. Remember that, baby? I know what surge I had a friend named Lachlan in sixth grade at Providence, not Providence, at Pineview School. He used to take drink two surges before he went into Mr. Yotsuka's science class after lunch. That kid was off the wall. Mr. Yotsuka developed an Advil habit um, during my time there because of my class. So we talk Advil like no one else's business. So surge, you're going to remember this. This is kind of what we're going to learn tonight. You're going to learn this tonight. The S in surge is the second law of thermodynamics. Second law of thermodynamics. The U is the universe is expanding. The R is the radiation from the Big Bang, BB. G is the great galaxy seeds. E is Einstein's. Three of general relativity. Yeah. So, Rachel, what's S? Second law of thermodynamics. Excellent. Caleb, what's uh, U? The universe is expanding. Good. Um, uh, Samuel, what's R? You're talking to me? Uh, yes. <laughs> Radiation from Big Bang. Radiation. Uh, G is what, Micaiah? And E, Miss Payton. Einstein theory of good. General. Okay. What are we doing? E. E. Yeah. Einstein's theory of general. I can't say it. General relativity. General relativity. Excellent. Sorry, my handwriting is so pitiful. It's an awful angle. Hey, Einstein's theory of general relativity. I'm asking you to say it out loud because it's another way that your mind can recall it and remember it, okay? So there is a method to my madness. So let's, let's spend some time on each one so you have a basic idea for each, okay? Um, second law of thermodynamics states that the universe is running out of usable energy. It's not gaining energy, it's running out of usable energy. What is the problem with a timeless universe with this law. Let's, let's say for a moment that the universe is timeless 
what is the problem that this second law of thermodynamics poses to that problem, AJ, uh, Andrew? It's AJ2. Uh, we would have run out of energy. Yeah, we would have run, of, run out of energy a long time ago if it was a timeless universe. Because how far back did it... Well, back, 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 back. We would have run out a long time ago if we had an infinite universe. Okay? Well, combine it with the first law of thermodynamics that states that about the energy of the universe is finite. So the first law of thermodynamics states that the amount of energy we have in the universe is limited. So it's not unlimited. And the second law states that we're running out of it means that if it was an infinite past and we've always been using it, we run out of it. For those of you that are having problems with this issue, imagine if um, we had an unlimited past as the United States. We couldn't recall it. We had a finite, finite amount of oil, and we've been using it for an infinite amount of time. Do you think we'd still have it by now? No, there's no way. We'd be out an infinity ago. We talked about an actual infinite and a potential infinite a while ago. Okay? Does that make sense? These are hard kind of big concepts. Okay? But if you have an infinite amount of time, you, you, you're going to run out of something finite before you get to us. If you use it every day. If it's infinite, forever, forever, forever in the past. Um, again, this is the example I use in my notes. Now, if our car has only a finite amount of gas, first law, and whenever it's running, it continually consumes gas, second law, would your car be running right now if you had started it up an infinitely long time ago? No, but here we are. Car's still running, lights are still on, so the universe could not have been forever. The second law is also known as the law of entropy. Big word. Entropy. Which is fancy way of saying that the nature tends to bring things to disorder. That is, with time, things naturally fall apart. This is what we see in nature. Nature's getting worse and worse, more degraded, more degraded. Okay? Every new generation brings new diseases and new problems in every genome. Um, example, uh, this is the example of entropy is what we call dresser's disease. Um, it's when you're, uh, as you get older boys, your chests fall down to your drawers. Okay? It's called, that's a joke. Dresser's, okay, whatever. Dress, chest to your drawer. Okay? Dresser's disease. Entropy. That makes sense? But if the universe is becoming less ordered, then where did the original order come from? Astronomer Robert Jastrow likens the universe to a wound-up clock. If a wound-up clock is running down, then someone must have wound it up. Okay? Second law of thermodynamics. The U, the universe, is expanding. Okay? Edwin Hubble, there's a telescope named after him, Hubble Telescope. Go on NASA's website if you have an extra half hour. Put on, like, Star Wars music in the background and look, or Star Trek, that's fine, and look at the heavens. It's awesome. The pictures that Hubble puts out monthly, day, I don't know if it's daily, but they put it out a lot, are just amazing of the universe. Edwin Hubble, through his telescope, more than a decade later, uh, more than a decade later, the scientists finally confirmed that the universe is expanding and that it's expanding from a single point. Hubble telescope Hubble's discovered this. How does the expanding universe prove a beginning? 
If you watch a video recording of the history of the universe in reverse, we would see all matter in the universe collapse back to a single point. Not the size of a basketball, not the size of a golf ball, not even the size of a pinhead, but mathematically and logically to a point that is actually nothing. Get it? Expanding, watch it in reverse, shrinks nothing. Okay? In other words, one time there was nothing, and then, bang! Something happened. There was something. Okay? Take note of the following. We do not state the universe is expanding into empty space. This is a hard concept. We are not saying that this is the universe and it's expanding, expanding, and there's space outside the universe. Rather, space itself is expanding. There is no space before the Big Bang. That's a hard concept to wrap our mind about as finite creatures who live in space. There is no space outside space. Space is the only space. That's why it's called space. The final frontier. Thank you. Thank you, Okay? And we're going to get to this. Einstein's theory of general relativity. According to Einstein, time, space, and matter came into existence at the same moment of the Big Bang. Bang. The fact is, time, space, and matter all came into existence at the moment of the Big Bang. Time, space, and matter are co-relative. Preston, I know you might have heard that word, you might not have. What do you think co-relative means? Time, space, and matter. When I say co-relative, those things are co-relative. What do you think that means? Mm. Take a guess. What do you think co means? <clears throat> Cooperation. So, so they're something together. Okay. Co-relative. Following something. Like following. What do you think relative means? Yeah, so they go together. They are grouped together. They're co-relative. Time does not exist without space. Space does not exist without matter. Matter does not exist without time. Okay? They all go together. They are co-relative. So what is nothing? The universe is expanding from nothing. So the question is, what is nothing? Unfortunately, most atheist astronomers get this wrong constantly, and we have to correct them over and over again. Dr. Peter Adkins, atheist, proposes that nothing prior to the Big Bang was mathematical points. Isaac Asimov, atheist, says nothing is positive and negative energy. I like Aristotle's definition of it. Nothing is what? Rocks dream about. Nothing is what rocks dream about. Or Zach's girlfriend. Oh, no. oh. Just messing with it. 
How did you know? <laughs> How did you know? She's timeless, faceless, and immaterial. Okay? Uh, <laughs> nothing is what rocks dream about. It's nothing. It's nada. No, it's nothing. It's nothing. It's not mathematical. When we say nothing, we don't mean, well, it's positive and negative energy. What do you mean? In space? Is that energy material? Does it take up a before and after? Because if it does, it doesn't work. Why doesn't it work? Because of the second law and Einstein's theory of general relativity. When we say nothing, we mean nothing. We mean what rocks dream about. That's what science points to. You can't redefine it to make it suit your whims. Well, I have to redefine it or I gotta posit a God. Yeah, you do. So stop trying to redefine it and just let the rationality and the empirical evidence follow. British author and atheist Anthony Kenny describes the predicament of an atheist in light of the evidence. He says this According to the Big Bang Theory, the whole matter of the universe began to exist at a particular time in a remote past. A proponent of such a theory, at least if he is an atheist, must believe that the matter of the universe came from nothing by nothing. You have to believe that this is what created this and everything you look at when you get home on the Hubble telescope. So tell me, those of you with an elementary, some middle school and some high school education, What's more likely, that nothing created all this, or that something created all this? Something. If you're rational, you're going to say something. And even, that's why atheist scientists try to beat around the bush and be like, well, nothing is mathematical points. You're not, you're not getting it. You're, you're just ignoring this. You're ignoring this. You're ignoring this. You're ignoring the empirical evidence that we have. And you're positing your own whimsical story. Radiation from the Big Bang. This was discovered by accident. Aren't most great, uh, great things in life? In 1965, the year Churchill died, by Arno Penzias and Robert Wilson when they detected strange radiation on their antenna at Bell Labs in Homdale, New Jersey. No matter where they turned their antenna, this mysterious radiation remained. This accidental discovery would lead them to win a Nobel Prize. They had discovered the afterglow from the Big Bang fireball explosion. Okay? This is technically known as the cosmic radi background radiation. And this led, to, this led to any lingering beliefs about an eternal universe to be abandoned by the scientific community. This is what I'm saying. Radiation for the Big Bang. You have an explosion. Boom. Boom. You ever see the pictures of the atomic bomb being tested? Okay. If you go to Chernobyl, which is um, one of the places where there was an explosion of a nuclear power plant. By accident. <laughs> Fun times. You're going to take sensors... And you're going to read the sensors, and like there's going to be 
remnants left over of the explosion. There are radioactive animals there. Okay. Does that make sense? Same thing if you go to the place in New Mexico, or as the French like to do, Fiji. That's where we test our atomic bombs. Paradise. Okay? That's, if you go to any of these places where they tested atomic bombs, you're going to find a radiation afterglow. You're going to be able to test it and see it. Now, that's an atomic bomb. Now, explode the whole universe into the existence. Can you imagine that type of radiation afterglow um, on the universe as a whole? Yeah, it should be there. And guess what? It is. We tested it. It put to rest all the ideas that the universe is eternal. Because there's a, there's a leftover of a bang. That means there was a... Okay, we have the effect. What caused it? If we have the leftover of a bang, there must have been a... Big bang. A big bang. Okay? God spoke and bang, it happened. Okay? I doubt the first words in Scripture were quiet. Okay? All light, matter, and time, space coming into the existence. Boom! I'm glad you weren't there for it. I'm glad I wasn't there for it. We'd be blown off our socks. Okay? Literally. Astronomer Robert Jastrow put it this way. No explanation other than the Big Bang has been found for fireball radiation. The clincher, which has convinced almost the last doubting Thomas is that radiation discovered by Penzias and Wilson was exactly the pattern of wavelengths expected for the light and heat produced in great explosions. Supporters of the steady state theory, that was the theory that the universe has always existed, and that was your eternal. Um, supporters of the steady state theory have tried desperately to find an alternative explanation, but have failed. At present time, the Big Bang Theory has no competitors. None. Nilch, nada, what rocks dream about. Those are the competitors. G is great galaxy seeds. This is hard to get your mind wrapped around. I'm going to do your best. Even in my, uh, this took me probably the most. So after finding the expanding universe, and after finding the radiation afterglow, scientists now turn to another prediction that would confirm the Big Bang, and that is slight variations or ripples in temperature of cosmic background radiations that Penzias and Wilson has discovered. The temp ripples enable matter to congregate by gravitational attractions into galaxies. Okay? I'm going to say it all, and then I'm going to do my best to explain it in layman's. And I'm going to butcher it, but I'm going to do my best. Okay? NASA launched a satellite to search for these ripples in 1989, and in 1992... None of you were born in 1992. Well, that's a weird thought. Astronomer and project lead George Smoot announced Kobe's findings. He said, if you're religious, it's like looking at God. University of Chicago astrophysicist Michael Turner was no less enthusiastic, claiming the significance of this discovery cannot be overstated. They had found the holy grail of cosmology. Stephen Hawking, Cambridge astronomer, called it the most important discovery of the century, if not of all time. So what were the results of the satellites that were launched in 1989? Not only did they find ripples, but scientists were amazed at their precision. The ripples show that the explosion and the expansion of the universe was precisely tweaked to cause just enough matter to congregate to allow galaxy formation, but not enough to cause the universe to collapse back on itself. And a variation, one way or another, and none of us would be here to discuss it. 
The ripples are exact down to one part and one hundred thousand. This caused Smoot to react, calling them machine marks from the creation of the universe or the fingerprints of the maker. Further, they didn't just graph these examples. They took infrared pictures of the ripples. Keep in mind, these are actual pictures of the past from deep space. That is, the infrared pictures point to the existence of matter from the very early universe that would ultimately form into galaxies and clusters of galaxies. Smoot called these matter seeds of galaxies as they exist today. Seeds of galaxies as they exist today. These seeds are the largest structures ever detected, the biggest extending across one-third of the known universe. You have an explosion in a lake. So let's just, you have one rock, you toss it into a lake, what happens? Ripples. Ripples. Yes, it does sink. (laughs) But to the surface of the lake, you find ripples. If in the ripples there are matter, there are sand particles that are floating on top of it, if there's not enough of a, like, force, they're just going to just not move, just stay there. If there's too little of, again, if there's too little of a force, the ripples aren't going to move. If there's too much of a force, the sand particles that flow on top of the water are just going to kind of go everywhere. If there's a perfect amount of force... It'll move the ripples, and then because there is matter, the matter will form its own spiral. Does that make sense? So the matter will congregate. Gravity, as we know it, and the expansion of the universe, is so precisely tuned that if it was any less gravitational pull, the universe would have collapsed back on itself. There wouldn't have been enough power. If there was too much more then the matter in the universe would have had too much force to be able to collate together and create galaxies or gravitational wells. Okay? Think of this in terms of gravity. If you take a tape measure and you put it on one end of the Milky Way galaxy and you take that tape measure and you move it across to the other end of the Milky Way galaxy and you put a pencil on a one-inch line in the middle of it, If you move that pencil one inch this way, galaxy implodes on itself. If you move that pencil one inch the other way, there's too much force in the galaxy and no matter congregates and we're not here. That's how precise the math is. That precision is down to an inch within the Milky Way galaxy. It's just an accident. I mean, we're one of many universes, and we just happen to get really, 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 I mean, karma's off the wall in this universe when it comes to... Do you see... Great galaxy seeds point to the fact that not only is the universe expanding, not only can we see the afterglow, but it is precise in the perfect amount and dispersion of time, space, and matter to even form galaxies and a habitable place for you and me to live. Einstein's theory of general relativity. The theory itself, which has been verified to the fifth decimal place 
demands an absolute beginning of time, space, and matter. And it shows them to be co-relative. So time, space, and matter began. Now, I'm jumping ahead, but I want you to see it. If time, space, and matter began at the beginning, and we can see the beginning, and we can see the precision of a beginning, then whatever banged the bang, so the banger who created everything out of what rocks dream about, had to be what? Could it be in time if time didn't exist yet? No. So he's got to be timeless. Could he take up space if it hadn't existed yet? Nope. It's got to be spaceless. Can he be material if material doesn't exist yet? Nope. So we need a banger who's timeless, spaceless, and immaterial. I think I know a guy who fits that description. Know a guy. Not Noah, but... Okay, we good? I'm going to test you on these later. You won't have to describe them in detail, but we'll review these, Serge. We good on Serge? Everyone got your notes? Now let's deal with some of the objections. Oh, it's okay. I can... Thank you for that, though. First objection is what's known as the cosmic rebound theory. It's what my 49ers middle school boys were not doing at the game. Cosmic rebounding. That's why we lost. And this is a theory that the universe has been Expanding. Boom. And contracting. Boom. For an eternity. Forever. Cosmic rebound theory. Problems with this theory. First one, and this is my favorite one, this is why people believe it, is that there's no evidence for it. Well, I postulate rationally. You see how we talked about the way we know things? We can rationally think about things all day. But at some point, you've got to have some evidence to back it up. There's no evidence for this. Nada. Nilch. What rocks dream about? Zach's girlfriend. All these things. No evidence. Two. Not enough matter. So we talked about matter, space, and time. There's not enough matter in the universe to pull everything back together. There's not that glue to get it back together. This was confirmed by the Goodard Space Flight Center in 2003. Who was born in 2003? Good year. Okay. They said the universe will expand forever. It will not turn back on itself and collapse in a great crunch. That's what NASA's current evidence tells us. The universe is constantly expanding. Further, astronomers are now finding that originally, I mean, this was when I was growing up in 99, we thought there was a chance that it would expand and then it would hit a wall and bounce back. 
Now we're finding that it's not slowing down, it's speeding up. So that's the current state of the universe. It's getting greater and greater and more spread out and more spread out. <coughs> the universe is accelerating. Third. Even if there were enough matter to cause the universe to contract and bang again, the cosmic rebound theory contradicts the second law of thermodynamics. What's the second law of thermodynamics, Taylor? That's fine. That the universe is running out of energy. Yeah, so it's running out of energy. If it's been infinitely doing this, do you see the problem here? Okay, I, I can... Longest I played a soccer game is because the ref was so against us. I'm in Nairobi, Kenya. We're in the mountains. We're on this field. It's a mud pit. And so we decide to play an hour game of soccer with the locals. We're Americans. They're Kenyans. They think they're going to kill us. Thank God that it had rained for a week beforehand because it slowed the Kenyans down. And we let them up like a Christmas tree with goals. I mean, we just killed them. Because we, they were fast, but we had all the tactics in the world. So we were running triangles, crossovers, end arounds, heading the ball in. I think we beat them like 20 to 3 at the end of the day. But the second half, the Kenyan ref was like, no, no, no. We're going to come back. We're going to tire these boys out. And so that second half-hour half was a two-hour half. It was a blast. But I passed out after that. I was so exhausted. We're in Nairobi. We're already a mile above sea level. I mean, I was just wiped. At some point, you get tired because the second law of thermodynamics says you're running out of energy. At some point, the universe can't bang anymore. And if it's been an infinity, it's already run out of energy a long time ago. Does that make sense? Fourth. There is no way that today would have gotten here if the universe had been extend, expanding and contracting forever. The infinite number of bangs is actually impossible. Is actual impossibility. If there is a finite number of bangs, then the theory does not answer the question of what caused the first big bang. Okay. Four. I'm just going to put the infinity marker. You have this problem with infinity. This is a hard concept. We experience time in this moment-to-moment <clears throat> -moment that moves the past and converts it into the future. And that conversion is called the present. Okay, that's how we experience time. And what I just said is in the past. And now what I just said is in the past. And the present I'm just now talking about is now in the past. And the present I was just talking about is now... It's this conversion over and over again. This is how we experience time. If it's an infinite, if there's an infinite amount of time this way, I, I, you can wrestle with this as you go to bed at night. It's just hard to get your mind around sometimes. You're not going to ever reach here. You're not going to ever reach this moment on the line. Because time is almost always moving back that way. Now, some have said, well, maybe time is moving, this is really heady stuff, in two directions, or what we call two different worlds. Okay? Maybe it's in two different directions, and that's how we get kind of infinity. Now, you don't get infinity anymore. You have two timelines. It's kind of like that multiverse model that you hear in the comic books and DC Universe and, and the college classroom that there's an infinite amount of universes. 
there was a show, sci-fi show in the 90s. Do you remember what I'm talking about? Um, what's it called? Spheres? Or something? Huh? Happy Days? <laughs> Happy Days in the 90s. Man, that would have been great. Uh, why am I blanking on that? Oh, sliders. Sliders, where they would slide to different universes. They would slide to a different universe, and they were trying to find their timeline on the wheel to get home. Um, the issue with that is it still creates a beginning in which all universes have to exist. The multiverse, and you're going to hear this a lot, does not answer the question of this. All it does is make it harder. It pushes us a step back. So what created the multiverse machine? Now you have to have a machine that creates multiverses out of nothing, or nada, or what rocks dream about. And we can theorize about it all day, but then again we have this that's happening. We have no evidence of a multiverse. We can't touch it, taste it, feel it, sense it, or test it. I tested the multiverse today. I met my twin. It's a great concept in television. It is. It's one of my favorite concepts in television. Um, Fringe is one of my favorite shows, and they play with that show. All They play with the multiverse concept all throughout the uh, the last four seasons of it. Okay? But it doesn't necessarily... Just because we can think it doesn't mean it works in reality. There's a difference between the possible and the real. Okay? And we don't believe things that are possible. We believe things that are probable. And most likely. So, because all the evidence points to a big bang, I'm going to believe in this. And I'm going to believe that something created something. Instead of nothing. Okay? Um, there's the uncertainty uh, model so uncertainty theory with the evidence of the beginning of the universe so strong some atheists question the first premise of the cosmological argument and that is the, uh, the law of causality this is dangerous for atheists who typically pride themselves on being champions of reasons and science if you destroy the law of causality you destroy science itself because if an elephant can just appear out of, in this room out of nothing I mean, none of you believe that that's possible. Why? Because you believe science. There's a cause and effect out of nothing. But they have to posit that that's possible if the law of causality doesn't exist. So you're saying an elephant can pop it in this room out of nothing? Well, no. But you're saying the universe itself can pop out of... In this, you know what I'm saying? Like you're saying an elephant can't do it, but now you're positing the universe can. That's the exception. Elephant's much smaller and easy to appear out of nothing than a universe. Okay? I, I could go into um, more, but I'm not going to. We can talk about it more if you want to know more about it. An argument for an infinite past. This is called an infinite regress. We've already kind of touched on it. An infinite regress is, a, is an impossibility. Okay? Arguments against. Some say that infinite numbers can exist, so why can't infinite days Answer, because there's a difference between an abstract infinite series and a concrete one. One is theoretical and one is actual. We can play with infinity in math class all day, but we can't actually see it exist. Okay? Okay. This one you're going to get. It's a headache. But this is, the, this is the number one. And let's see. Jordan's going to be able to answer this question for me. This is how amazing. Jordan's never taken this class from before, but she's going to answer it. And that's this question. Well, who made God? If everything that had a beginning 
had a cause and the universe had a beginning, the universe has a cause, well, who caused God? Okay, Jordan, is my argument, what is, what's, the, what's the issue with this question within the argument? Wow, I'm not arguing. Good job. You nailed it on the head. I'm not arguing that everything had a beginning. I'm arguing that everything that had a beginning had a cause. Does that make sense? It comes down to words, and words have meaning, and words are important. I'm saying that everything that had a beginning had a cause. I'm not saying that everything had a beginning. The fact is, I think, if we're existing on a timeline and an infinite regress is impossible, then there must be something that didn't have a beginning. We must have something that is timeless, spaceless, and immaterial that created time, space, and material. Uh, That's exactly what I'm saying. Does that make sense, What? Okay. What's smart? They'll say, but wait, if you can have an eternal God, then I can have an eternal universe. After all, if the universe is eternal, then it did not have a cause. Yes, this is logically possible that the universe is eternal and therefore didn't have a cause. It's logically possible. There's nothing rationally about it that I can't say it happened. But the fact is you have two possibilities. Either it had a cause or it didn't. And the fact is, based on surge and all the evidence, it points to this. That the universe had a beginning. And if you're going to be a scientist and you're going to be rational and you're going to look at the data, you have to follow this. If you posit something else, well, I believe in something else, give me the data to back up your points. Because I just gave you five that back up mine pretty well. Does that make sense? This is a place where you can push somebody. Not push literally. But be like, okay, let me give you my case and then I'll ask you to give you your case. That's an easy way to bring it up. Here's why I believe the universe had a beginning. Second law of thermodynamics. Explain a little bit of it. Universe. Uh, why am I blanking on it? Who's, what's you? Universe is expanding. Which means if you rewind at some point, it was all together. Radiation from the Big Bang. We found the radiation. The great galaxy seeds. The way it formed at the exact level of uh, gravity and time, space, and matter moving together is precise. And then lastly, Einstein's theory of general relativity says uh, space, time, and matter are co-relative. So if they did begin to exist, all those began to exist at the exact same time. So what's your evidence for whatever other theory? Hmm? What word? Um. Okay. So again, you can push, you can press somebody on this. Okay. And sometimes you just let it go there. Well, I don't know. Okay. Well, think about it and get back to me. There are two stories um, when it comes to this. Um, One uh, is my story. I hated a God I didn't believe in, which is an equally compounding question. Um, And somebody sat down and gave me this. And I had some other theories, mainly the steady state theory, which in 1998 was at least possible. And, um, and I went, junk, i got to have to deal with this. I'm going to have to actually look at the evidence for it. Um, another one, uh, my Uncle Mark used to run a ministry called Friends of Internationals. 
and they would uh, do outreach to international students at the University of South Florida's campus. And he's taking some kids on a bus to a retreat. I think they're going to like a zoo or bush gardens for the day. And he's sitting there, and, he, and there's one uh, engineer on the bus from China. And he's talking up a conversation about God. And he says, you know, well, the guy's like, well, what evidence do you have for God? And he laid out this. I went, hmm, okay, I might have to consider this. The guy came to the lever a week later. Okay? I know we say it all the time in Presbyterian circles. I get that it's the Holy Spirit that saves, but I hate it when people say, well, no one's been reasoned into the faith. Well, you're looking at somebody who has. I've met tons of people, hundreds of people, especially when I did conferences with my seminary, who have been talked into the faith using reasons. Guess what God uses? What God created? Did God create nature? You betcha. Did he create dreams for all the Muhammads that are coming to faith over in, uh, behind closed borders in Iran and Iraq and all those places? You betcha. Did he create rationality and thought? Mm-hmm. Now, do we use this to run away from God? Yep. We use our emotions, too, and sometimes our feet and sometimes weapons. We use a lot of things to run away from God. Don't ever tell me people can't be rationally reasoned into the faith. Does the Holy Spirit use it? Yes. Does the Holy Spirit work? Yes. But you can't tell me this ain't a tool that he uses. Does that make sense? If you want more questions about that, come to me, talk to me about it. Um, but this is a tool you can use. This will remove barriers for people. Or at least put a stone in their shoe and make them have to think about it. Okay, i got to deal with this. Okay? That was my logical argument. We're done. And it may- Thanks for listening to the Yak Podcast. I hope you enjoy our uh, series on apologetics. If you want more information on Yak, you can visit us at cccfrisco.org. I hope you'll join us again soon.